0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. That was awkward. Somebody hid my table. And my prop. Well, on December the 9th, 1965, I was eight and a half years old. And I was in third grade. My brother Ken, who was six and a half years old at the time, and I had already gone through the Sears Wish Book, which was almost 600 pages at the time, and dog-eared all of the pages of all the stuff we wanted Santa Claus to bring us so he would know for sure exactly what to bring. And we were looking forward to a new television special, never before shown, called A Charlie Brown Christmas. Now, we were well acquainted with the Peanuts gang from the Sunday Funny Papers But this was the very first animated Christmas special that would star Charlie Brown, Linus, Snoopy, and all the gang. And we were really looking forward to it. It was a Thursday night, and uh, we were getting ready. Mom and Ken and I, my dad, was always away working, and so he wasn't there. But we couldn't wait to see it. And we we had our massive 24-inch black-and-white television. It had an on-and-off knob, which doubled as the volume switch. And there was a channel selector, which had 12 channels, which really didn't matter because we only got three. Channel 4, Channel 6, and Channel 10, which uh, that was Channel 4 was ABC, 6 was NBC, and 10 was CBS. And uh, we were eagerly awaiting this new Christmas special. And and you might be wondering, how do I remember all those things? Well, I didn't remember that, for instance, that December the 9th was a Thursday. I had to look that up. I didn't remember that the Sears Wish Book had 600 pages. And actually... Probably if you're under 35, everything I just said makes no sense to you. You have no idea what a TV would be like without a remote control. You have never seen a Sears Wish book because they don't have those anymore. And, uh, And the world we live in is so radically different than the world of that day. But um, we looked forward to these Christmas specials because there weren't, you know, hundreds of channels to choose from. There wasn't sports on every station. In fact, back in the day, my brother Ken and I figured out that we could take our portable television, which was like a nine-inch TV, put it on top of the regular TV, and we had picture-in-picture to watch two football games at one time, way ahead of the curve. But anyway, I offer all that background because today we're starting this new series called Christmas At the movies, and I recognize that Charlie Brown Christmas isn't really a movie. It was a half-hour television special, but even as an eight-and-a-half-year-old boy, it caught my attention for this reason. Charlie Brown was a little kid, probably my age at the time, and Charlie Brown was depressed by the thought of Christmas. He couldn't understand Christmas. He didn't know what Christmas was all about. And, and so he, he was talking to Linus at the beginning of the show, and he said, you know, I, I like getting presents. Everybody likes getting presents, but I just don't understand what it's all about. And, and as they were talking, you know, they were getting ready for the Christmas play, and all the kids were gathered. Uh, I think it might have been at the local school. I don't know where. But anyway, they were getting ready to practice, and it wasn't going very well, and nobody would pay attention. And finally, somebody said, if we just had a Christmas tree... Maybe things would go better. And so Charlie Brown and Linus were charged with going out and getting a Christmas tree. And somebody, as they were leaving, said, get a get an aluminum one, Charlie Brown, a pink one. And uh, so Charlie Brown and Linus go to the local Christmas tree lot. And sure enough, there are pink trees and blue trees and yellow trees and purple trees. And they have all kinds of patterns. And not one of them, you know, looked like a fir tree or a spruce tree or a scotch pine, except this one little tree. And it looked sort of like this. And... Uh, and, and In fact, Linus said, do they even make wooden Christmas trees anymore? Now remember, this was in 1965, and Charlie Brown was all concerned about the commercialization of Christmas. In fact, uh, there was a Christmas uh, decorating contest, and we would find out at the end of the show that, that Charlie Brown's dog, Snoopy's Doghouse, had won first place in the decorating contest. But anyway, they decide, Charlie Brown decides to get this little tree, and Linus says, I don't think this is keeping, in keeping with the modern, you know, the modern spirit of Christmas. But Charlie Brown doesn't care. He buys it, and he picks it up, and he carries it back to the place, and he sets it on top of Schroeder's piano. And this is what happens next. We're back. Stupid Charlie Brown. What kind of a tree is that? You are supposed to get a good tree. Can't you even tell a good tree from a poor tree? I told you he'd goof it up. He's not the kind you can depend on to do anything right. You're hopeless, Charlie Brown. Completely hopeless. Rats. You've been dumb before, Charlie Brown, but this time you really did it. What a tree! <laughs> I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And of course, somebody does know what Christmas is all about, Linus, and we're going to see that in just a bit, but I've always felt bad for Charlie Brown, I mean always felt bad for Charlie Brown, but especially there, even his dog is laughing at him, I mean you know you're having a bad day when your dog's laughing at you, right? And uh, before we go to Charlie Brown's uh, answer that he gets from Linus, I, I just want to point out something that I-, I-, I made a big mistake. I went to YouTube to go look up some clips like this about the, you know, the-, the show so I could remember, get my mind refreshed. But I made the mistake of looking at the comments after, you know, I don't know if you've ever looked at YouTube, but if you have, you know, they put comments below. Well, I mean, how could you make a negative comment about a Charlie Brown Christmas, right? But here's what somebody wrote. Christmas is all about a hijacked holiday and arrogant and paranoid Christians. These Christians somehow think that Christmas is being repressed when the exact opposite is the case. Christians desecrate their own stolen holiday and then, enabled by things like Fox News, somehow think they are being persecuted. Jesus never existed. And even the fraudulent and tirelessly edited Holy Bible give no indication at all that would associate the birth of Jesus with the winter solstice festival, which is really what Christmas is about, celebrating the return of the sun, not the birth of a concept. Ho, ho, ho. Deal with it. I was like, what? You know, I mean, there are so many errors in that brief few sentences that it would take me days to get it all figured out. But how about this? Jesus never existed? Are you kidding me? You know, I mean, I know that everybody doesn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I know everybody doesn't believe he's the Savior of the world, but very few people in the 21st century that are rational, even atheists, don't believe that Jesus existed, that there was a man named Jesus who lived in the Middle East, you know, about 2,000 years ago, give or take a few. Everybody knows that. And when it says that it's a fraudulent book, this book is fraudulent and tirelessly edited. There's nothing farther from the truth than that. This book has not been edited much at all. In fact, one of the things that's interesting, you may or may not know this about the Bible, is when the original books were written, 66 different books... They were meticulously copied by scribes who, if they made one error, threw the whole page away. I mean, there were there were no computers, there were no printers, nothing, not, not even printing presses. And so they would start over again, whole page, one little error, whole page, throw it away, start over again. And they did this. I mean, this was their job. This was their livelihood. This is what they did. They passed on these documents faithfully. Now, have they been tirelessly translated? Yes. Translated just means taken from the original language of Hebrew and Greek and put into English, in our case, or Spanish or whatever language. That's been done hundreds of times so that as each time era passes, like for instance, the King James Version was done in the 1600s. And the New Living Translation, which we most often use, was done in the 2000s, maybe the late 1900s. But in any case, the the translations come and go. But there's not been much editing in fraudulent. Do you know what fraudulent means? It means that somebody willingly is seeking to defraud us, to lie to us. When these folks wrote down what they wrote down, they believed it was the very Word of God. They believed what they were writing was the absolute truth. It was not their intention to defraud anybody. Now, I know that not everybody believes these words are inspired by God, as I do. But nobody can claim that they're fraudulent, You see, this guy had a problem. Now, he did get one thing right. The one thing that he got right was this, that uh, we don't know for sure when Jesus was born. We don't know if he was born on December 25th. And we do know that there was a pagan holiday that celebrated the winter solstice. You can think about it. the days, You know how the days keep getting shorter until December 21st or 2nd when uh, winter you know, officially begins. And then they start to get longer again. Well, there was a pagan holiday that celebrated that. And I don't know, but somebody, I think with a great deal of wisdom, decided let's make Jesus' birthday December 25th. So instead of focusing on a pagan holiday, we can focus on the birth of the Savior of the world. And that's our take-home point today. What is Christmas all about? Christmas starts and ends with the Savior's birth. So when we think about Christmas, it's not all the, you know, the, the, what is it, flack these days. We can't use that word out in our culture. Well, I can. I use it all the time. I say Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Somebody says Happy Holidays to me, I say Merry Christmas. Because it's about Jesus. December 25th is about the birth of Jesus. And this guy really needs to talk to me. uh, Because we would have a good conversation. At the end of the day, one of two things would happen. He would know Jesus or he would just be as stupid as he is now. But that's the way it would work. Okay, so let's move on. I'll tell you what I really think about that next week. Um, No, it'll be two weeks because Brad's preaching next week. All right, so... Does anybody know? This is what Charlie Brown says. Does anybody know what Christmas is all about? Now, here's what Christmas is all about. Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. That is what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown and everybody else in the room today. And, and even in the King James English, everybody understands that the message is about good news that a Savior had been born in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, the, the place where David originated. And, and that is what we're going to be talking about throughout this Christmas season. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to look at the seven verses before the verses Linus talks about and then what happened after the angels went back into heaven and what the shepherds did. So if you have your Bible and you'd like to follow along, it's in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1, and it says this. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Corinius was governor of Syria. Now, Luke was the author of the gospel that bears his name. And one of the things we know about Luke is why he wrote his gospel. We don't really know why Matthew, Mark, and John wrote for sure, other than they just wanted to share what God had done through Jesus. But Luke tells us why he had written. If you turn uh, back to chapter 1 in Luke, the very first verse says this, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness report circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most excellent or honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught." If you've never read those words before, if you've never opened the Gospel of Luke to the very beginning, then you probably don't realize that Luke had a very specific purpose. There was a guy named Theophilus. We assume he was a Roman official of some kind because of the title, Most Honorable. But for whatever reason, Luke felt called to write the history of the life of Jesus in order that this man, Theophilus, could know with certainty the things that he believed. And Luke went around and he, he interviewed eyewitnesses and eyewitness documents from the earliest times. And then he put an orderly account together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's what happened. And when he said that it was during the time that the emperor Augustus or Caesar Augustus was in charge, what was he doing? He was anchoring the birth of Jesus in history. Because there was a guy named Emperor Augustus or Caesar Augustus and he lived at a specific time and ruled at a specific time in history. And so we know that Jesus was born sometime a little bit before the the, the turn of the common era or the, the AD or a little bit after. And that's what, you know, obviously you'd think that Jesus was born in zero. But most biblical scholars believe he was actually born in like four or six B.C., doesn't really make sense how Jesus could be born before he was born. But anyway, you know, he was born in history. That's the point. You see, here's something. I always talk about the six things I learned at Princeton because I didn't learn much that was worth anything. But I did learn six things. And the one thing I learned was this. Faith is an informed trust. It's not a nice gullibility. You don't have to check your brain at the door to be a Christian. You don't have to just be a fool. I mean, this guy who wrote all that stuff about what, you know, Jesus never existed and the Bible's fraudulent, that guy's a fool. That guy checked his brain at the door. He hasn't done any investigation. He is either stupid or ignorant, one of the two. But we don't have to be either to follow Jesus. And Luke wanted to make sure that Theophilus, this Roman official, was certain of the things that he believed. And so let's continue. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancee, who was now obviously pregnant, or as the King James says, great with child. Right? So this is the situation. Joseph was Jesus' stepfather... Mary was Jesus' mother. She had been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And not everyone believes that, but the most important person who needed to believe it did, Joseph. You see, the reason I say the most important person who needed to believe it did was Joseph, because in those days, if you were engaged to somebody and they got pregnant and you weren't the dad, you could kill them. The Mosaic Law permitted you to put the person to death. And Joseph was a righteous man, we're told in the Gospel of Matthew, and he didn't want to do that, but what he wanted to do was just put her away privately and never have anything to do with her for the rest of his life. And while he was considering that, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and told him, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So, we don't hear hear that in Luke, but we hear that in Matthew. And you put the two stories together, and and, and you get an account of what actually happened. And so, we have the opportunity to believe that there was a woman who was a virgin who had a son who came from God. You don't have to believe that, but you don't have to be a fool if you do believe that. You see, it makes sense that if God was going to send his son, that the father would be him. Okay, let's move on. So it says, And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So Jesus' birth took place in a very common manner in a very common place. In fact, the most common of places, in a feeding trough for a cow. Now I'm thinking if I'm God, I would probably have my son be born somewhere better than that. In fact, if he's the king of kings and lord of lords, wouldn't you think he'd be born not in a stable but in the palace? And, and when the wise men who heard about Jesus' birth by the stars, they traveled to Israel. And when they got to Israel, they came to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. And where did they go? They went to the palace. And they asked King Herod, hey, where's this new guy that was born king of the Jews? And Herod didn't know what they were talking about. But the wise men, they were wise men, Right. So they went where it made sense to go whenever the baby who was going to be the king of the Jews was born to the palace. But that's not where he was. He was in a stable because if you're born in a stable, pretty much anybody in those days, anybody could identify with you. It would be like saying he was born at McGee's Women's Hospital. Anybody could be born there, right? You don't have to be like the president of the United States to have your child born there. Anybody gets to be born there. Okay, so then it says... And what we're going to do right now, we already read this. I mean, Linus read it for us in the King James. We're going to read it in the New Living Translation. And I'm going to ask you to join me. If you're able, would you please stand right now? We're going to read what happened after the birth of Jesus and what the shepherds saw and experienced, all right? With me aloud, please. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this wonderful news, this great, fantastic news that you exist and that you have a son and that you sent him to the earth to be born in Bethlehem, that he might grow up and be perfect and that he might die in our place, taking away our sins. And then rising again and returning to you, sending your spirit that we can live in your power day by day. And that's my prayer today, that we would trust the truth and that we would live in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So that is what Christmas is all about. While Jesus' birth happened in a very common way, in a very common place, what took place next was very uncommon. An angel of God came from heaven and appeared to a group of shepherds. Most biblical scholars believe they were watching sheep about eight miles from Bethlehem. And so they had a little bit of a walk after they um, saw this great news. But one of the things is interesting, I mean, I don't know if you ever thought about this. These shepherds had to ward off wild animals in the night. They had to ward off thieves in the night. These were not cowards. These were brave men. And yet when the angel ha- occurred or, or appeared, what happened in the... In the King James, it says they were sore afraid. And in the New Living Translation, it says they were terrified. I'm going to tell you what the Greek says, and you'll be able to understand it even from Greek. Mega phobos. Phobia is fear, right? Phobos. Mega great. They feared greatly. And then the angel said, don't be afraid, because what? I have good news of great joy for a couple of people. Right? Is that right? No. No. Good news of great joy for all, all the people, the people who believe it and the people who don't believe it. It's good news for everybody. And that's what I have because today in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, the Savior, Savior saves us from sin and death and Lord, Messiah, that's, you know, Christ is anointed one. He's the one who came in order to fulfill all of the Old Testament scriptures that said that God was going to deliver us from sin and death and take over. Once again, just as had happened back in the days of David when David's kingdom extended throughout much of the known world of that day. In this case, it was going to be something that would take place over all of the world. And so the good news of great joy happened and peace, not just the absence of conflict, but true peace in the hearts of men and women and children would come once people recognized this Savior. So, After the angels gave their news and after all the armies of heaven, and that's really what heavenly host means, armies of heaven, they all sing and proclaim all this good news. They disappear back into heaven. And what do the shepherds do? Here's what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 15 and following. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So the shepherds did three things first, they heard the good news. Second, They verified the good news. What did they do? They went right to to Bethlehem, where the angel had said this baby would be. And there, sure enough, there was Mary and Joseph. There was the baby, and then they told everybody they could about the good news. I don't know what it was really like, but what I picture is after they told everybody, or after they, I mean, verified it, they went out and started knocking on doors. We know that Bethlehem was filled to overcapacity. Why? There was no room in the inn, right? Because of this census that Caesar Augustus had, everybody who has, had descended from David's tribe had to go to Bethlehem for this census. So it was packed out and they're out shouting good news, which is what we do when we have good news. When Nancy and I were uh, married, we decided after two years that we were going to have our first child. Now that didn't work out too well for us because in the third year we didn't, fourth year we didn't, fifth year we didn't, sixth year, long story short. Tenth year, Abby was born. I want to tell you something. I told everybody I knew and half the people I didn't that we had a baby because we were so excited. That's what you do when you have good news. And that's what the shepherds did. They told everybody the good news that Jesus was born. God had sent His one and only Son into the world to bring salvation. And He would grow up into a perfect man who would die on the cross of Calvary. That's what the the birth in the manger ends in the cross and then in the tomb and then in the 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 ascension into heaven, and then the sending of the Spirit, and that's where we're living today. We know all of these things that have happened, and we've experienced the power of God through His Spirit, and we're waiting for the final promise to happen. So after Charlie Brown heard Linus's explanation of what Christmas was all about, he picked up the little tree, and he walked outside into the night sky, and he looked up into the stars, and as he's looking up there, he... He remembers Linus' words, For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is this day in the city of David a Savior is born, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. And as he thinks about those things, there's a smile comes across his animated little face that has been so depressed and distressed for so much of his life. And he says, I'm not going to let commercialization ruin my Christmas. I'm going to take this little tree home and I'm going to decorate it. And they'll see this tree is good enough for their play. And, and so he, he goes home. And, and as he goes into his yard, there's Charlie, or Snoopy's doghouse. And it says a, a blue ribbon, first prize, you know, and there's all these lights blinking and stuff. And Charlie Brown goes, first prize. And for a moment, he's going back into his Christmas doldrums and then he's going, I'm not going to let this dog ruin my Christmas. And so he takes one of the Christmas balls off of of Snoopy's house and he puts it on a thing. And I can't do this because this tree's like fake. But, But it just dropped down, if you've ever seen it, you know, the whole way down to the snow. And he goes, ah, I've killed it. And he walks away and he's depressed once again. And after he walks away, the whole group of kids come by and, and wow, I guess I can bend it a little bit. Um, and Linus, he bends down and he goes, I never thought it was such a bad little tree. You know, he goes, maybe all it needs is a little love. And he takes his blanket, which he never gives up for anything, and he wraps it around the base of the tree. And all the kids go over and they take all the stuff off of Snoopy's doghouse and they put it on the tree and it looks beautiful. And they start humming, hark the herald angels sing. And Charlie Brown enters back into the picture and he goes, what's going on? And then he looks at the tree and he looks at everybody and they all shout what? Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. And everybody starts singing, hark the herald angels sing. And I didn't realize it as an eight-year-old, but I realize it now There's no better Christmas carol to sing at the end of that show than Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Because Hark the Herald, Herald just means somebody who tells good news and the angels told the good news and then the shepherds told the good news and then people told the good news down through the centuries and we're still telling the good news and the kids were telling the good news and one of the words or one of the phrases, it says God and sinners reconciled, brought back together. That's what Christmas is is all about and that's how a Charlie Brown Christmas ends does anyone know the real meaning of Christmas sure we do we all know the real meaning of Christmas God the God of the whole universe loved us so much that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life and so here's today's commitment. For those of you who are new, we have a commitment every week. And as we go out, here it is this week. I will, live, I will invite someone to experience the real meaning of Christmas with me this Christmas season. I will invite someone to experience the real meaning of Christmas with me this Christmas season. There are so many ways to do that. So many ways to do that. But here's the thing. We can only do that if we've experienced it first ourselves. We can't share the real meaning of Christmas with somebody if Jesus Christ isn't the Lord and Savior of our lives. And so if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you've never asked Him to come in and take over so that Christmas isn't just a celebration of some pagan holiday, so that Christmas isn't just a time when we help the economy, when Christmas isn't just a time that all of our friends and family get together, but it's a time when we remember the moment in history when the actual God of the universe said, enough with sin. I'm going to give them a new life. I'm going to send my son. If you want to do that right now, you you just have to say, Jesus, come in, take over. I want Christmas to mean what it really means for me this year and every year from now on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that there is meaning to the word Christmas. It actually means Christ's birth. And, and, the, and the true meaning of Christmas is that you would not let sin and death prevail in human life, not in humanity and not in individual human lives. And you sent Jesus to do something about it. Today, God, I pray for anybody here in the room that, that wants to simply give in to the truth and let you lead in their lives. And God, I pray for the rest of us that we might remember in this season when it even for us who know you and maybe have known you since we were small, it's so easy to get caught up in all this stuff about Christmas that isn't about Christmas. God, we know that giving presents is about Christmas. We know that being joyful is about Christmas. We know that loving and caring about our family and friends, that's all what Christmas is about. And so let us focus on those things in this Christmas season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.